Hey, y'all, this is your girl, Amber, reaching your potential. In this episode, I have a very special guest who has a great story about how he got into OT. It was not his first decision to become an OT right off the bat. This is actually his second career choice. So it's really interesting to see that and get his perspective of how he got into OT. But I'm not going to prolong this any longer. Let's get started. here he is from texas right yep you got it awesome awesome so i have anthony here from texas we're gonna dive right into it he's just gonna introduce himself and tell us a little bit about how he got into ot so everybody meet anthony hi um my name is anthony lucio i'm an occupational therapist working out of denton texas uh and i I'm from Dallas, but I live in Denton now, which is about 45 minutes north of Dallas uh, with my wife, Colleen, and our beautiful daughter, Cecilia. She's 10 months old, which is really exciting. Um, Anyways, I guess just to start about my OT story, um, I, first of all, I guess I should start by saying like, like like you were saying, Amber, I did kind of have an unconventional path um, to this field in the sense that uh, my first career was actually in education, um, in different things, but basically I went to undergrad at Hendricks college in Conway, Arkansas, and I majored in psychology. Uh, and in the back of my mind at that time, I thought I could just do anything, you know, like many people fresh out of undergrad, they, you know, just think that the world is their oyster and, uh, everything's just all going to work out if you just put your mind to it, which is true to an extent, but, There's also these things called uh, prerequisites and um, um, that good stuff. I went through college and I thought to myself, I was, I knew what OT was uh, because my mom's actually actually a physical therapist and she's been one for like over 30 years now. Uh, And she always told me, Anthony, I think that you'd be a good OT. You should look into this. And I was like, oh yeah, sure. I'm I'm majoring in psychology. I can do anything. I worked at a summer camp uh, before my, the senior year of college. It's a summer camp in Texas called Camp Camp. Uh, And in this summer camp is a summer camp for kids and adults with special needs. We didn't have any OTs at the camp, but um, a lot of people who I worked at the camp with are now OTs. That was kind of a very awesome experience for me um, going into my senior year of college. And it really just rocked my world in terms of my understanding of disability and living life to the fullest and all that jazz. Uh, it was a really cool experience and I learned a lot, but my senior year, I kind of got really interested in the idea of teaching. Uh, so that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking, you know, maybe be a Spanish teacher, maybe do special ed or maybe OT, who knows? You know. And so um, I ended up, you know, applying to all this stuff. My senior year of college, I ended up applying to Teach for America, and uh, I got in, and um, I really appreciated uh, that experience. Um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, being a teacher, but it was really cool. I said when I applied that I could I'd teach anything except upper-level math, because uh, I didn't know very much of it, uh, and they took me up on it, and I taught first grade and kindergarten for two years. Like I was saying, it's very, very tough. Learned a lot about people and families and all kinds of kids and all kinds of abilities. I was in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, which is like the Arkansas Delta. Um, And um, I thought to myself, this is really fulfilling and very difficult. And I was working very, very hard to to be able to, I could pay my own bills, um, but it was kind of hard for me to imagine what the long term would be like in this type of career, Um, you know, especially in education, you're expected to do, or anything with kids, you're really expected to do so much more with so much less. And um, I decided to try to work more with adults after I finished my teaching experience. I did higher ed uh, administration. I was basically like, uh, an admissions counselor for my alma mater. And I did that for three years and uh, got to travel the country and even parts of the world to recruit for the college I worked for. 
Um, so that was a really interesting experience. And I learned a lot about organization and kind of managing my own caseload in a sense, because, uh, you know, I had high schools that I would go to and high school students that I would work with and their families and explaining financial aid and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, so I don't think that, you know, either of these jobs was um, a waste of time by any means. I think that they've made me a better therapist. Um, but while I was in that job, I realized, you know, the direction there's, there wasn't a whole lot higher you could go unless you really wanted to be like a admissions director or a VP of enrollment and that kind of part of higher ed administration or higher ed wasn't very interesting to me in the long run. So I started thinking like, oh, you know, I'll do this OT thing that my mom was always talking to me about. Uh, and so I realized very quickly that um, I couldn't just go right into OT school that, you know, people really wanted to see certain things. They wanted that GRE. They wanted the all the prereqs, uh, some of which I didn't have. And so I had to go back to school at different community colleges and stuff to, you know, take anatomy and abnormal psychology. I, I had a psych degree. I just didn't take that in my undergrad for some strange reason. Um, and um, so, yeah, I started collecting all these things while I was working and I was just kind of hoping that it was all going to work out. Um, I ended up applying to OT school. Um, two rounds. So I applied my first year uh, to about five schools. I only got into one uh, and it was a great school, but it was very, very expensive. <laughs> and, um, and it would have meant if I would have went there, my girlfriend at the time now, uh, wife, uh, she was, she was applying to grad schools at the same time, but she, the best school she got into is in Florida. And so it was kind of her turn. You know, I, I kind of dragged her to Arkansas with me. So uh, it was time to do the thing that she really wanted to do. Uh, and my the school I was going to go to was in Missouri and it just wasn't going to work. And so we ultimately decided that we would go to Florida, to Tallahassee. Um, while I would, and it worked out perfectly because I got in-state tuition from living there for a year before applying again, I ended up, um, applying that next year. And I just applied to FAMU uh, where I went, Florida A&M University amazing school. That's how I know Vontae and how we got connected, uh, you and me, Amber. Uh, so that was cool. Um, I did my rotations, um, my field work rotations in acute care and uh, outpatient pediatrics. And we did like a community uh, field work, like a one week thing uh, with like an adult day program, uh, which was cool. Um, so uh, I've been working as an OT since the summer of 2019. So um, creeping up on uh, two years now, uh, did outpatient uh, and home health pediatrics with uh, one company um, that did both of those things. And I did that until the pandemic struck. And then around that time, we were also found out we were pregnant. And uh, I realized that the schedule of working with pediatrics was not going to be as great for, um, you know, working uh, and having a kid at the same time, uh, mostly just because if you, especially if you do outpatient peds or home health peds, like your golden time for treatment and evaluations is like between four and um, like 7 p.m. And uh, it just, that was starting to get to me. Um, so when ended up trying something new and applying to a hospital here in Denton, and that's where I've been since October of 2020. Uh, it's been a wild ride with COVID and everything, but I'm, I feel very thankful. I wake up every day very thankful for everything that this job has afforded me and all the education I've been getting. Uh, it's been cool because the hospital I work at has a lot of uh, older, more experienced OTs, uh, and that's something I was missing at my peds place because um, I was like one of the older, more senior people <laughs> at this clinic when I... Um, when I started, um, just cause I guess turnover with pediatrics can be kind of a thing. And my boss boss, like the owner of the clinic was, was super knowledgeable and super helpful, but she also had a business to run. And so, uh, I kind of took the gems of wisdom as I could get them, but, uh, I'm really, really thankful for this job. And it's very, very humbling, uh, every day, um, in acute care. Um, but 
yeah, that's kind of where I am now. <laughs> yeah, no, that is the story. And uh, I'm so glad that you were able to, you know, be transparent and tell everybody about the journey. You know, I, I was just like writing down some notes about what you um, talked about, about how your first career was a teacher. And I love just educators in general because I come from a family filled with educators. My mom is still a teacher. My grandma was a teacher for over 25 years. My dad is now in like administration in terms of like safety for schools and things of that nature. So making sure schools are safe and if they're, they aren't, they're like, that school has to contact him in order to ensure that the protocols are met and things of that nature. So a lot of like administration things. And then my brother works for the chancellor for the board of ed. So. Oh, wow everybody's in department education and I'm like help <laughs> it's a little different but um but as I said I love educators and teachers need to get paid way more than what they are Amen. bargained for it's crazy they have such a huge responsibility um to really train these kids for their future like if they don't have that foundation then it's just going to mess them up for the future. So teachers are so important, especially the um, the early childhood kids. And um, when they're learning their letters, their phonics and all these important things, these are the foundational things. I mean, like in OT school, we learn about those things. And that's why we're working with kids that have, that need more time to process those things because they didn't, have that foundation or it just took them more time you know so um I love your story of being a teacher and then even transitioning into being in administration being a college and being in the college admissions department like I know these skills helped you to be the OT you are now because you need patience <laughs> lots of patience a lot of time management even like encouraging like in encouragement skills you know like how to persuade somebody to come to your college the college that you work at oh totally you know? and knowing so that much. that message has to be totally different depending on well not totally but it's probably going to be different if you're talking to a parent versus a kid you know and it's the same thing with what we do in ot as ot's you know talking to the family and the caregiver and uh you know those things you kind of need to hit different notes with different people and you yeah. kind of need to be good on your feet and, um, you know, just, you know, versatile with people. And I think that uh, I'm very thankful for those experiences for sure. Yeah. And it's a unique experience too. Like I don't, you don't hear on a daily basis that before I was an OT, I was a teacher and I worked in admissions for a college, you know, that's like one in a million. So <laughs> I, <laughs> to be honest, like it's true, but I think that just, speaks to your story and it gives you more tools in the tool belt that some people cannot cannot say yeah I mean I'm super thankful it's been great and I'm also thankful that your family's been so involved with uh, education mad props to all of them and I still feel kind of guilty for leaving to be honest but at the <laughs> same time I also know that it was the right choice for me so you mm -hmm. do what you gotta do and uh you know I feel like I I'm just as fulfilled by this profession, but I do sometimes feel guilty because sometimes I feel like, you know, I just know how hard teachers work. And I know that how many of our, our, uh, the problems we face as a society could be remedied by, you know, treating teachers better and by, um, you know, prioritizing education way more than we do now, uh, in terms of, every outcome, education, economic outcomes, health outcomes. I mean, it really all comes down to education. Even so much of what we do as OTs uh, comes down to educating people and convincing them that, you know, that uh, what we do and, uh, you know, is going to be useful to them uh, is a huge, um, a huge part of the job. And um, especially, well, I was about to say, especially with adults, but with kids too. I mean, with, with every population, I imagine there's a huge component of educating either the patient or those around them uh, to to be either be safer or more functional, you name it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Like, I feel that I'm always, always educating my patients about the purpose behind what we do, because there are times where 
we can't just do exercises for our session because that kind of meshes with what PTs do. Like we have to think of more like functional tasks in addition to the exercises. And then sometimes we may be roaming through their kitchen and taking out cans from their cabinet or filling out water, like a glass of water. And we're just filling one water after after each other and they may act like what is the purpose of this why are we doing this why am I taking out like food from my refrigerator or things of that nature why are we cutting fruit and I have to tell them like look at the big picture what are the skills that are needed for this task you need strength you need some fine motor coordination if we're standing this is working on how long you can stand um just trying to tell, just breaking down the skills that are required to do a certain task. And they're like, oh, wow, like I didn't even realize all of those skills are needed for one task. I'm like, yeah, so this is going to help you because if we work on these skills, it's going to then transition into, you know, now I know you have proper standing tolerance to stand at the kitchen to cook your meal or enough standing tolerance to stand and put on your shirt or something like that. So it's always about educating our patients, whether they're adults or kids, as you mentioned, because they may not understand the lens that we are looking at. We're always looking at it as like using activity analysis all the time. Oh, absolutely. No, that's huge. And I feel like that's like one of those things that our professors told us all the time. And like, then when you get out in the field, you're like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Right, like, okay, okay. But now when you're actually living that life every single day in your job, you're like, yeah, now I understand what my teacher was saying. Writing your notes, explaining things to patients, it really all comes down to that. Mm -hmm. Sure, a lot of the time. Yes, for sure. So now I want to actually transition a little bit into being a person of color as well in the profession. And I know that we don't have that many people of color as patients as much, but also in the profession is not is little to none, and especially being a male too. So you're a person of color and you're a male. So can you just tell me a little bit about how you go about that, like on a day-to-day basis as an OT? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, the more I'm doing this career, the more I realize just how people-oriented and people-centric this job is in the first place. And uh, it really reminds me a lot, like being in the hospital reminds me a lot of when I was a teacher because um, that's also a very human profession where, you know, you're you're really going face-to-face with people's perceptions of who you are as a person, who you are, who your ethnicity is, what your gender, sexual identification, like, you know, sexual orientation, like everything, uh, you know, whether they're children or adults, coworkers, everyone is looking at you. Uh, if they can, you know, see you, they're listening to you, the way you talk, the way that you, your body language, all of that stuff. Uh, and they're putting it in their head and these schemas to try to figure you out all the time. And um, so I think that it's interesting because when I was a teacher, I noticed that like we two different teachers could come up with the same approach to something and it might land or not land uh, depending on, you know, some of these things that we, these immutable characteristics that we have. And sometimes it seems like they're often the more, that they're easier to explain why somebody you know, feels the way that they do, or they feel more or less comfortable, maybe the way that you look or the way that you talk or whatever reminds them of, you know, person A, B, or C that they might have a positive or negative relationship with. And so, you know, I think I I pull a lot of those tools from my life uh, as a Latino and also my life as a mixed person. My mom's white, my dad's Mexican. Uh, And I feel like a lot of my life has been people trying to figure out who I am or whether I'm enough of what they expect me to be. Uh, And so, um, you know, that whole experience has made me 
you know, very, very sensitive to how I'm coming off and what people are expecting out of the situation. Uh, mm-hmm. I, especially after being, as being a male in OT with kids, particularly with boys, uh, I noticed that I don't think it was a coincidence that I, my caseload uh, when I was working with peds ended up being 75% boys. <laughs> but I think that's a lot for a lot of kids, especially nowadays, a lot of kids just don't seem to have, uh, you know, father figures around as much as they might have used to in the past. Um, or, you know, maybe a lot of the times, you know, when they're used to like a school setting or whatever, um, or people that are working with them because teaching is kind of more of a, you know, female dominated profession as well. I think a lot of times it's really good for kids to get experience with other people. Um, and in the hospital, that uh, comes up a lot too, because, um, you know, I am a man and half of my patients, I would say, are women and, um, and half of them are men, you know, but the, the fact that, you know, there, I think there's like eight or nine OTs in our department, but I do think that it's pretty special, you know, that I can go in this, I can work in this department and there's probably a fair amount of patients that will feel more comfortable doing their ADLs with me. Uh, a lot of them might feel less comfortable, but here's where the Spanish speaking comes in and the Latino, you know, identity comes in. I think a lot of times when I, I, go, I walk into a room and I hear that they're speaking Spanish, I'll speak Spanish back to them and I'll do the whole session in Spanish. And I can just see a lot of times they really open up, they feel more comfortable, um, you know, and uh, they feel really thankful because a lot of people will come in the room. They might have the language line iPad in there. Uh, for different healthcare staff to come in, but a lot of people just don't use it. Uh, and even the one, when they do use it, it's not as personal. It's not as direct as somebody speaking your language face to face. And my, my Spanish isn't perfect. Uh, I grew up speaking English in the house. And so I've had to kind of learn it as an adult. Um, but I'm really thankful every day that, um, you know, I've gotten the experiences to learn Spanish and, and personal and professional settings. Uh, and I'm, it gets better every day. I never was expecting that I would be in a job where I use it almost every day, but I do just being in Texas and with demographic shifts in North Texas in particular, uh, I find that I'm using my Spanish a lot and it's that kind of experience. that's really helped me out a lot as a new clinician, because I think a lot of times when you're a new practitioner, you're really trying to find your lane, you know what I mean? Figure out like what unique aspects you bring to the table and how you relate to people and how they relate to you. Uh, but I often find that the, the patient interactions that I feel like, you know, I was here for a reason. I came here at the right time with the right person. We took care of everything. You know, uh, I think that I really made a difference. I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of times I feel that way uh, with patients uh, who are, um, who are Spanish speaking and a lot of whom are men too. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, a lot of times people will, um, you know, be more forthcoming if they don't, you know, if it makes them feel more comfortable talking to a man and it's kind of weird in a hospital because I think sometimes, you know, their reasons for feeling that way might not be the most politically correct reasons for preferring a man or whatever. I hear all kinds of stuff. Uh, and it, it really shows you a lot about humanity too, because I'll get patients who are like, uh, I'll, I'll read the note on the patient. I'll be going in to do a treatment the next day. I didn't do the eval, but I'm going in and I, I'll notice a lot of times, like I'll, I'll read like this patient's very ornery or they don't do what I asked them to do or whatever. And then I go in there and they do what I asked them to do, but I don't think it's anything I'm doing. A lot of these people that they're being really unpleasant to are very experienced therapists who have a lot to bring to the table uh, in some cases a lot more than I would be able to bring to the table but you know just me being a man like will make them listen to me and it's kind of messed up but at the end of the day we're all there for the patients we want to get them to be as safe and independent as possible so you just kind of have to go in there and do your job and be respectful and and encourage your clients to be respectful too. Uh, but at the end of the day, the primary, you know, responsibility you have is to help them. And, um, you know, it, they're not going to the hospital to, 
I mean, ideally, you know, we'd be changing their, their hearts and minds about all kinds of stuff, but, you know, a lot of times you have limited experience or limited interactions with them. So it's Mm -hmm. just kind of funny the way that that works, but do you feel the same way as a therapist of color in the, um, with the clients that you work with? Yeah, I do. Like, so unfortunately I don't speak Spanish and my dad's side is Panamanian. So my grandmother speaks fluent Spanish and everything. And um, I used to speak Spanish pretty well because I was learning how to speak Spanish from like first grade all the way through high school. So I was pretty good. But then of course, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I don't practice it. I don't really, I don't speak with other people in Spanish. So unfortunately I'm just like, I'm awful now. Like it's really bad. (laughs) And um, I would have patients sometimes that are Spanish speaking and I would try to have a conversation with them, but I'm like, I'm awful. Like, let me not even try because my Spanish is (laughs) not it. So, um, so I feel like I will go into other, you know, ways to, or other alternatives to speak to them for the most part he can speak English as well but uh, I'm I'm positive and I know that he feels more comfortable speaking in Spanish and I feel awful that I'm like I can't really speak Spanish with him as um as smoothly as I should but there's other people around as well when we have sessions so they're usually like translating and things of that nature um, since it's like home health and not a hospital setting where you will have like actually like translators there or like a language line or something of that nature. But when I do have a person of color that is black or maybe of like West Indian descent, I feel that I do have some type of connection with them off the bat, which I think is great. Um, I'm able to just, you know, I, I don't want to say be myself, but in a way, like I feel like I can be myself around them. Um, versus someone that is not a, uh, who represents a person of color. I just feel like I'm my I'm myself when I'm yeah. around like other Black people. I feel like I can be um, I can relate to them. I can just let kind them of mutual know. Mutual understanding. Yeah, it's a mutual understanding that like we're here to help each other, and um, I'm here to help them. And it's just like that trust is built from the first day. Um, I remember. Just last week, I had a eval, a new eval with this patient, and she's actually from Puerto Rico. So, um, but she speaks fluent English, which is great. Um, but I remember her daughter, who lives with her, that we were talking and things of that nature, and I was just saying like, "Oh, I'm actually off this certain day. Um, another clinician can come in to cover for me." And she's like, "No, no, 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 no. Like, we just want you." And I, I was just like this is just the first day, you know, like they, they're still getting to know me, but right off there, you already know that the trust has already been instilled from the first moment we talk. So it just speaks about like my character, but it also shows that when you see another person of color, regardless of ethnicity or race, or, you know, I think just like more of ethnicity, whether you're Spanish, you're black, you're West Indian, African, like we're still people of color and we all, understand the struggle that we experience on a daily basis because of our skin color versus a language barrier or just like how we have to walk through this life of you know of our society and kind of what you mentioned about humanity of how like some patients are just going to be comfortable with a certain therapist because they're a male because they're a female or maybe because they represent the same ethnicity as them or the same race as them that's just how yeah. it is, you know? So I really love how you spoke about that. And there are times where I have, I only really have a lot of patients that are males right now. Um, most of them are females, but there are times where I have a male patient and we have to do something ADL related and they are kind of at unease of like, oh, like you're, why do I have, why you have to watch me go to the toilet? you know, or why do I have to get undressed in front of you? And that gets uncomfortable at times for them. And I don't want them to feel that I'm forcing them to do something that makes them uncomfortable. So I just, I always, I'm always stepping on eggshells, but I'm I'm very careful of how I say things and how I, um, especially like, okay, I want you to get undressed. Like, no, I'm like, okay, like, 
I really want to work on your dressing today. Are you comfortable with that? Do you want privacy? You know, just trying to make sure that the situation and the room is very, um, I'm caring about their safety. I also care about their privacy. So I'm willing to know like, this is why I'm here. So always bringing it back to like the OT purpose, not because I want to see you get undressed, but because I want to make sure you, if you need assistance, now I know where I can step in and help you. Totally. It reminds me a lot of that, um, that Maya Angelou quote the, that says that, you know, people don't remember, I'm probably going to butcher exactly what she said, but people don't remember, always remember what you said, but they do always remember the way that you I, made them feel. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's like, so like, uh, integral to this whole conversation and just like how people, how you, how, how you make people feel. I think a lot of times, uh, you know, is impacted by some of these immutable characteristics that we have, the way that people perceive us and that we perceive other people. Um, and then also just like being good on your feet and like reading the room. It's so funny, like that stuff is like so important for our job and being effective with patients, but it's not something I don't think that you can really learn in school. I mean, I think you can learn through school, you know, like a school can like set you up with field work or, you know what I mean? But like, but in the sense of like, you know, something that you could read in a textbook, there's never going to be a textbook that tells you when you're in this particular situation with this particular person who has these particular ideas, this is what you do. You know what I mean? You kind of just have to, to really just take a deep breath and be in the moment. Uh, And, uh, you know, I always have to remind myself that too, as a new grad where I'm like, you know, sometimes I can be a little critical of myself, um, you know, before I go into a room or when I get out of a room and think like, oh, I didn't mention X, Y, or Z or like, oh, Mm -hmm. like I didn't give them any exercises to do or like, you know, you name it. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I think if you prioritize, you know, the way that you're making people feel and the way that you are handling the situation that you are in a hundred percent and just trying your best to meet them where they are. You know, I think nine times out of 10, I don't think you can go wrong. Um, You know, I think that the content is super important and it's something I'm trying to build on as a new grad every day. But um, you know, I, I think that that, that baseline is probably the most important thing because we're here to help people and we're also here to, to get a lot of times to change people's behaviors uh, yeah. and to make them more safe or functional. And, uh, you know, how do you get them to think it's their idea? Uh, you know, uh, that stuff's all really, really important. Uh, and it's something that is really, uh, it's, it's very fluid and uh, in the moment for sure. Yeah. And I love that quote from my Angela. It's, I, I think it's probably one of the best quotes you can even remember because it's really not about what you know, but it's how you make people feel. And I think that even like in our health profession in general, not just OT, but like PT, doctors, nurses, you can know everything in the textbook, know all your abbreviations, know all different diagnoses. But if you don't know how to treat somebody, if you don't know how to talk to someone when they don't even care about the session, they may just be having a really bad day and you need to just be there for them. If you don't have those skills, then like, why are you in the profession? You know, as you said before, in textbooks, textbooks do not teach you this stuff. You know, how to be a people person, how to be sociable, how to be empathetic. Like, yes, they give you the definition of how to be em- like about empathy and sympathy, but do you really know what it takes to empathize with someone? And I think it's really um, challenging for those who may not be people of color to empathize for those who don't look like them. And I'm sh- and for me, when I have patients that don't look like me, I try my very best to empathize. And like, okay, I may not know exactly what you're going through because like I'm black and you're white, but I'm gonna figure out something that we can relate together we have something some type of interest you know a common interest in something and I just take it home with that mm. and um, I think that's it's key as an OT that's why we do the whole occupational profile you know getting to know who this person is 
what are their interests? What do they care about? Who is in their life that means the world to them? Or what interests that they have before that they're like, oh, yeah, I don't do it anymore. But why? You know, like, let's mm -hmm. try to figure out how we can get back into the things you really think is, are meaningful for you. That gives you life, you know, like the quality of life is so important and like in just OT in general. Absolutely. And another thing that you mentioned before is like finding your lane. And I feel like I'm always trying to figure out where I where I stand, you know, like, okay, I'm a female, I'm a young clinician, also like I'm a black person as well. Like there's so many different lanes that I can like fit into. But another thing that I really identify as now is is a new clinician. And you mentioned before that you know being critical on yourself and I feel like I'm always doing that I I leave an eval and I'm like oh man I forgot to talk about this and I forgot about this assessment I should have done and I I sometimes get I get too hard on myself for sure but I think every lesson every time you do an eval is not going to be the same procedure every single time oh, totally. because every patient is different and I've been learning that after every single eval I do. Like, of course I have a game plan when I get inside, but then it might go out the window <laughs> because. Yeah. No, that's know. so real. I remember when I was in field work, I would, I would start to get so like, oh yeah, I'm doing great. You know, like I got a rhythm, like, but really looking back on it, I was kind of just like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was like, do this manual muscle test, blah, blah, blah. But then yeah. like, I noticed whenever like I walked in and the patient was like, I really need to pee right now. You know, yeah. and you're like, <laughs> and you're like oh, oh, okay. And then okay. you like, you know, put a gate belt on them and get them over to the bathroom or whatever. And then like afterwards, you're kind of like, whoa, like what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so it's like, you got to really be able to like take that uh, rhythm you have and like pivot and go this way, that way. And, uh, you know, it's so funny how that you can get in. It's good to have a rhythm and know like what things are on your eval template or whatever, uh, so that you get all the information you need, but sometimes you're not going to get it all and you just have to just try your best. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I feel like nobody tells you that, but you kind of just have to figure it out and just treat every day like a, a new day, you know, an opportunity to not make the same mistakes. <laughs> exactly. It's just like a new opportunity to try something new. Okay, this didn't work out. Let me try it this way with this other patient. Oh, it works. Maybe I'll try it again. Nope, that doesn't work. Let me try something else. <laughs> it's just like a trial and error, you know? Oh, totally. <laughs> That's the beauty of like, I think treatment so is that every every session is not going to be mm -hmm. the same exact session. Even if you do the same treatment things or the if you have the same treatment ideas each time, is little the outcome is going to look different every single time. Mm -hmm. Every single time. But the last thing I have, uh, last question I have for you is: Do you have any advice for those who maybe? currently in a career that may be considering OT or just any advice at all? Yeah, sure. Um, I think my biggest advice, or I guess my, my biggest takeaway from my experience is that like, uh, you kind of have to advocate for yourself and your career and you have to decide, you know, what you think is ultimately going to be good in the long run. I think that for anyone that's questioning, you know, whether this is worth it, um, you know, I think that ultimately, I would say it's been 100% worth it for me, uh, even though it has been kind of a process. I didn't, I didn't actually get my license until I was about 30 years old, uh, which, you know, isn't that late, you know, it's not like I'm an old man or anything, but uh, <laughs> I still got plenty of time in my career. Uh, but um I would say that it's definitely been worth it looking back on it and just everything that's happened in the past two years to, to me and my family and our lives. Um, I think that there's a lot to be said about the quality of life that you can have if you're an occupational therapist. Uh, but at, uh, and I, when, I, when I say that, I mean like, you know, we get paid a respectable amount for the work that we do, which is really great. <laughs> and a lot of people have worked really hard um, to, to prove to 
you know, the insurance companies and to prove to medical professionals and, and schools and every community we work in uh, that we're worth it. And, um, you know, that's something to definitely take seriously when you are in the clinic is that, or when you are in the field, I guess I should say, um, you know, is that it's really important to try your best and to uh, do everything you can to like really prove to the world that like, you know, that we're worth it and that uh, what we do is really valuable and very much like the X factor of what's missing in a lot of different uh, fields, whether it's in medicine or health or school or, um, you know, prison system, you name it. Like, I think that in a lot of ways we can be like that missing ingredient because we are so patient uh, focused and, um, and, um, you know, function and safety focus. There's a lot of people that, that have a vested interest in making sure that people are safer and more independent. Uh, and so I think that's why our career does well. Uh, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, um, I'm super thankful that I have a job that I can work three days a week, uh, PRN, um, in my particular, you know, area in North Texas, you know, there's a, de a demand for what we do. And I've been able to do that. And it's been amazing. Uh, you know, I feel like I've been able to be the father and the husband that I would like to be for this transitional period in our lives. I think that, you know, as I, as our daughter gets older, if we have more kids and stuff, you know, I think I'll be able to go back to five days a week again, um, you know, and make more money. But at the same time, like, I'm really thankful that we've been able to do this. My wife and I just closed on a house. Um, you know, all that stuff, I think doesn't get talked about enough when, when, when people are considering careers, um, you know, I think a lot of times, a lot of people going into OT school or any health profession will be the first to say like, I'm doing this because I want to help people. And I think that that's great. I think a lot of us are here to help people. Um, and, but at the end of the day, I think that we, as a society really need to realize that there's a lot of people who help people every day and they should get paid just as much. Um, I think that you have to do what you got to do and if it's going to be worth it and figure out if it's going to be worth it to you. Um, but I did go into a lot of debt to be able to be in this lifestyle, but uh, I think that it's been worth it. Um, you know, uh, I feel fulfilled in my job. I feel like what I do is important. Uh, and, um, and useful and helpful. Uh, and so that would be my biggest, you know, piece of advice is just figuring out it's not, it's okay to, you know, get out the calculator and figure out what's going to work for you. You know, I think that in some states you can, you know, teachers do get paid better in some states than others um, or whatever, you know, anybody who's listening to this is doing. I think it's important to consider that because I feel like I didn't have, think enough about that when I was an undergrad about like how much things would pay. And, um, you know, what does that look like? You know, when you're an undergrad for most undergrads, at least at my school, um, and in my experience, you know, I, I wasn't fully an adult until I finished, uh, un uh, undergrad and I was working in the field, you know what I mean? And I, and it's, it's a journey, you know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like there's still things about life that come up. Um, but I'm, I'm ultimately very like grateful for the flexibility that this career has afforded me and, um, and for the usefulness and for, um, yeah, just the whole movement of occupational therapy and the history. I feel like, uh, we've got a lot of ground to stand on and, um, I going to conference is something I highly recommend when you're in school. Cause it really kind of helps put everything together and I can't wait to, to go back uh, to AOTA when it find, things finally get better with COVID and whatnot. But anyway, that was a really long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. That was so many good jumps that you dropped, honestly speaking. Like, I, I think that a lot of people learned from the advice that you have given, the sto your story as well. And I just thank you so much for everything that you have said in this episode. I just, I'm just at awe of what you do and who you are um I'm just I just know like this is just one connection that I know that's not going to go away that I'm thankful for who you are um just what are you what you're doing you know you're not just an OT but your husband and your dad to a cute little baby like oh that's so exciting and um and what I 
really took home as well is that, you know, you need to know more, a deeper meaning as to like why you're in the field, not just like, I want to help people. As you mentioned, like there's so many other careers out there that help people, as you mentioned. And I feel that when you start to dive deeper into like who you are, um, what you identify as, then you kind of figure out why you pick one job over the other or one career over the other. And for you, like you're, you're a new dad and you want to spend more time with your, your child. And being an OT, of course, is important, but you're able to have that flexibility, you know, as an OT. And as, you, as your child gets older, you're able to move around and adapt and, you know, be flexible. And I feel like that's the beauty of our job is that you can always f- be fulfilling in all the roles that you want, but you just have to keep that in mind of like, there's more things as to like helping people, but also you want to put yourself first too. (laughs) Totally. And it's so important, like even amongst us, I think like we were just talking about this before you hit record, but you know, I think it's really important to reflect, you know, that first job might not be the job, you know what I mean? It might be mm-hmm. that second or third job, or maybe that first job is the job, but it really just kind of <laughs> depends on, uh, you know, what you're looking for and how your job will balance with your life and your goals. And I think that it's appropriate to make decisions based on what's best for you, because if you don't make those decisions, nobody else is going to make them for you. And, um, you know, that's one thing I've been learning. And also, I just wanted to say, I'm really thankful that you are doing this podcast. I've gotten to listen to a few episodes and um, I've, I've really taken a lot out of it. And I think it's really awesome, too, that uh, you bring in so many voices and so many uh, different professions, different you know settings, and also people of different backgrounds. I feel like a lot with, uh, you know, different organizations with OT and uh, on a national level, everyone's always talking about we need to make our um, our field more diverse. And everyone's always talking about it. And I agree we do. Uh, but at the same time. I feel like we need what we really need to be doing is having these conversations uh, or exposing this information to people who are actually about to make these decisions in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if there's more, you know, students of color that are interested in going and applying to OT schools, we're going to have a lot more OTs of color, you know, of different languages and backgrounds and and ability, you know, um, everything uh, as far as diversity is concerned. I think that. Uh, that is so crucial to meet people where they are. And I think that what you do with this podcast is really like, it really hits people where they are. And I think that that's really cool. I was actually just thinking the other day, I was like, you know, I'm really glad Amber does what she's doing because it's something that, that I wish I could, you know, find (laughs) a way to do in my life. Uh, And I think it's really inspiring, um, you know, that you have this and that you're doing it completely on your own time, uh, (laughs) you know, based on, what you, um, you know, how you feel about the profession and, um, and your goals as a human. And I just think it's really cool. Oh, that was so sweet of you to say. Thank you so much. I, I really do appreciate you saying that because, I mean, I, I just enjoy interacting with other clinicians, especially people of color. Um, unfortunately, with COVID-19, you're unable to really see people face to face. So this gives me an opportunity to learn from other people, hear their perspectives and that just molds me to the clinician I want to be, you know, like I feel that I'm just allowing everybody to have this free space, a non-gentle, a non-judgmental space to tell their story and to encourage others, including myself, you know, like this is not just for me, but um, I'm just glad about how like this podcast has been growing into something I I never would have expected it to be. Um, In the beginning, it was just going to be about how to prepare for the MBCLT. (laughs) <laughs> now look at it so this is way more exciting than that yeah for sure I love it <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna end it here thank you so much Anthony for your time um I'm um, sure everybody has learned so many things about OT about your journey and are encouraged that it doesn't matter if OT isn't your first career or maybe not your second career but you have the decision on whether you want to take that step to take that leap to become an OT if that is the career you want to be in. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be OT, but it can be any career you choose and what you desire. So thank you, Anthony, so much.
Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, uh, pleasure to be here. And I'm really thankful we got to make this work. Yes, me too. Um, the last thing I have is that I usually give my guests the opportunity to share any social media handles or any projects that they are working on. This is the time to tell it all. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I can be reached at uh, my email, <laughs> which is uh, Anthony M. Lucio. That's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y. M is in Michael. L-U-C is in cat. I-O at gmail.com. And uh, I also have an Instagram. It's not really an OT Instagram per se, but uh, it's um, it, feel free to shoot me a message there. If you, if anything, um, you know, that we talked about was particularly interesting, or if you had any thoughts or questions or whatever, my Instagram is uh, geek USA Soma S O M O S O M A. So that's G E E K U S A S O M A. Um, with the little at sign in front. And um, that's my uh, social media handle. I wish I had more <laughs> projects uh, outside of moving houses and, and being a dad right now, but I'm working on it. Uh, maybe someday I'll start my own podcast or maybe we'll we'll continue to do this together at some point. <laughs> yeah, if you make a, a podcast, let me know. But of course, I would love to bring you back on for another you know discussion. I know we talked a little bit about um, like legislation and you know how we need to advocate and things of that nature, which I think is so important to talk about. So I'll definitely bring you on for that discussion. Hopefully I, I can get more done on a professional level in that department too. So we'll have more to talk about. <laughs> awesome. And guys, follow him on Instagram. His daughter is so cute. She is so adorable. So <laughs> just Yeah, it's pretty much just idea. a dad gram right now, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I love it. I really do. But guys, that's all we have for this episode. I had Ant here. We were just talking about his journey into OT. First, he was a teacher. Then he was working in admissions for a college and then he became an OT. But I hope you guys learned a thing or two from him. That's all we have. If you have any questions, comments or concerns, please don't hesitate to hit me up. You guys know my Instagram and you know my email. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace out.